0: Since you're probably curious, that was Psalm 83 that I read for us earlier, Psalm 83, if you want to reread that, meditate on it some other time. I invite you to join, join me in Exodus chapter 9 this morning as we continue our series, Jehovah Unveiled. God is revealing himself in great power and might to Israel. To Pharaoh, to the Egyptians. We've seen Moses grow in confidence as he's being charged by God to be the leader of Israel. We're seeing Pharaoh reject everything that God tells him to do. We're seeing the plagues become worse and worse as they continue to progress. All along, What we need to see is God is giving grace. God is showing his power that people might glorify him and he's offering his grace. Every day that Pharaoh is still alive is an opportunity for him to repent, to turn back to God. Yet we see that he's not going to. Surprise, spoiler alert. We've gone through plagues one through six so far. So join me in the scriptures with plague number seven, beginning in Exodus chapter nine, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home Will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven. So that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as it had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation." The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, "'This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail.' I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Let's pray. Father, we see your power in great display in this passage. You today are that same God who with no effort on your part could strike any one of us dead. Yet the fact that we're here, the fact that we're still breathing is a grace gift from you so that we might know who you are, so that we might know your power, so that we might live for you. So, Father, help us to not be like Pharaoh who, given opportunity to live for you, refuses. Help us, rather, to be humble. Help us surrender to your will, your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many times must I tell you again? Parents, did you ever think that? It is amazing to me the amount of repetition it takes to be a parent. I'm not even talking about just reprimanding children. Explaining things and what is supposed to be done. We have to just repeat everything that we say. We have to repeat everything that we do just because we cleaned the living room yesterday does not mean that it is clean today. There is repetition over and over again. All the meals made, all the items picked up, all, everything. Repetition, 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 repetition. I feel like that as a pastor too. I keep saying the same things over and over and over and over and over again. But it's okay because the Bible keeps saying the same things over and over again. So it should not surprise us that there is repetition. I mean, if we've read the Bible, it shouldn't surprise us at all. In fact, our God's a God of repetition, isn't he? For thousands of years, God has kept the earth's rotation. And so precise has he kept it that we can know exactly what minute the sunrise will be in Harlan versus what minute the sunrise will occur in Des Moines. And they're not the same. So precise is God's repetition that there were those yesterday who could see the eclipse of the moon, how the moon came between the sun and the earth and, and shadowed the earth, something that doesn't happen very often, but... Because God keeps everything in a repetitive, consistent manner, we can calculate when the next one will be. I guess you could say that God is a God of rep- repetition. I don't think that actually made it into my theology proper textbooks that I've read. But here are some characteristics that did make it into those textbooks because they're clear in Scripture. God is holy. And how many times is that repeated in Scripture? How many times is it stated explicitly, and how many times is it shown? It's repeated often, isn't it? God pursues his glory. We've read it several times in the book of Exodus that he is showing Pharaoh his power so that his glory might be known. Our God's a God of repetition. Our God is immutable, unchanging, unchangeable. And it's true of his repetition as well. So for all the times that God told his people to be holy, he hasn't changed. And so his scripture still tells us that today. So on and so forth. When we see God interacting with people as we do with Pharaoh, God is using Moses and Aaron to interact with Pharaoh. When we see God interacting with people, it should not surprise us that God continues to say the same things over and over again. In our passage, we see, first of all, God's purpose. Now, some of, some of the repetition that have ha- that's happened in every plague, I'm not gonna rehash every little bit of it in this passage. It's a long passage, But Moses and Aaron have gotten up, presented themselves to Pharaoh, given them, given him the warning. And in verse fourteen, we read this: "For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth." This is the first of two purpose statements in this passage. We're going to hone in on it, so that you. May know. Pharaoh, I want you to know who I am, says God. I want you to know who Jehovah is. Remember, Pharaoh had like 80 some gods that he worshiped. Can you imagine even trying to keep track of that? But the one God that he did not serve the one true God who actually could communicate to him in words. The Nile never communicated to Pharaoh in words. Cattle never communicated to Pharaoh in words. The God who could communicate in words, the one who is actually showing his power, that's the one that Pharaoh doesn't obey. All the dozens of gods that Pharaoh and his Egyptian culture worshipped were powerless. Their gods could not hear them. So as they cry out in misery, as these plagues have been going on, as they cry out in misery, these frogs are horrible, these flies are biting me. Their gods could not hear. Their gods could not provide for their needs ever. Their gods could not comfort them in their sorrow, in their struggle. Our God does. He hears when we pray. Even when our prayers are clunky. Do you ever feel like that? That, you, that you've spent some time in prayer with the Lord and you... You realize that what you're saying doesn't even make sense to you, but He knows your heart. He knows what you're trying to say. In fact, Scripture tells us that the Spirit prays for us when we don't know how to pray, He hears us when we don't even know how to say it. Isn't that awesome? Our God provides for us for every need. Our God comforts us. We go through trials and struggles. They may not look like the plagues on Egypt. Let's hope not. But the struggles that we go through are painful nonetheless. And he carries us through. God wants us to understand that there is no one like our God. God. He wants us to know who he is so that we might worship him in a manner that is worthy of his glory. That means when we worship him daily in a, in a moment of prayer. In a time spent in the word singing. When we worship him in our daily life that we're actually putting purpose into that worship and not just going through motions. And we gather together, same thing, that we're singing, great is thy faithfulness because we genuinely trust him that the God who has taken care of me to get me here today will sustain me to tomorrow. And even if this body doesn't make it to tomorrow, I still will. Rather than just singing words rotely. He wants us to know his power so that we might trust him, that it might en- enliven our prayer life. How much faith does it take for a-, a pagan, an idol worshiper, to pray to a little wooden statue? It takes an incredible amount of faith, doesn't it? Because that little wooden statue has never done anything for them. how much more should we be motivated to pray as we see him answer our prayers, as we see him reveal himself through scripture and the power and knowledge and the goodness that he, uh, all these things that, that he is and does, should we not be motivated to pray by, just because we know him more? He wants us to know him to worship him, to revel in him so much that we can't help but talk about him. The first purpose is found in verse 14, that we might know the uniqueness of God. The second purpose is found in verse 16. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So verse 14 focuses on Pharaoh's understanding of God and our understanding of God. Verse 16 expands that knowledge to the whole world so that everyone, everywhere, would proclaim the name of the Lord. Now there's some question in translation of the Hebrew as to how uh, this verse should start. Verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up. Um, some translations put, for this purpose I have maintained you or I have rescued you or I have sustained you. So there's a little ambiguity as to exactly what this word is supposed to be here. But what's not unclear, and we're always going to focus on that which is not unclear, right? Clarity over ambiguity. What's not unclear is that God is telling Pharaoh, you are right here right now so that you might see my power and so that my fame will fill the earth. God has had every chance already to kill Pharaoh so that the people of Israel might be set free, and he hasn't done it. That's what he's saying here in verse 16. You're here. You're still around because I want to show you more power. I want to show you more of who I am and what I'm capable of so that the entire earth Might bring glory to my name. Of all of Pharaoh's false gods, the the greatest and the fakest was himself. I mean, what kind of God would I be if I were my own God? And yet, Pharaoh saw himself as a god. Egypt revered him as a god. And it's true, Pharaoh had great power. Leaders of world powers do. And Egypt was indeed a world power in that day. But Pharaoh's greatest power stands as nothing next to the power of God. Nothing. Didn't matter how much wealth... Pharaoh had. It didn't matter how big of an army he had. It didn't matter uh, how much he could produce in the land and how many countries he could conquer. Pharaoh's greatest power had nothing next to God. That's exactly what verse 15 is talking about. It says, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you. You and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. That's a nice way of saying you'd just be dead. Our big idea this morning is God wants us to know his power and proclaim his name. Isn't it nice when the verses just really give it to you? That's verses 14 and verses 16. God wants us to know his power and proclaim his name. Go back to, to the introduction, God being repetitive, God being consistent. The principles and purposes that God made for people in the ancient world are exactly the same as what he wants from us today. The requirement that he put on Pharaoh to be submissive to God, to be obedient to God, is exactly what he wants from us today. So far, the plagues have been a nuisance. The Nile, turning to blood, was a nuisance. They had to dig for water. The frogs, invading everything. Annoying. I'm sure the kids thought it was cute for about a minute. And that was it, because they were everywhere. Other plagues were irritating. The gnats, the biting flies... One of the plagues so far has been costly. The pestilence of the animals killing off the livestock. One of them was finally painful to the person, the boils. We looked at that last week. But this one, this plague, the hail, this one's going to be deadly. Not just to livestock, but to people. Verse 18, behold, about this time tomorrow... I'll cause a very heavy hail to fall such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. By the way, that last little phrase is just a metaphorical way of saying ever. It was their cultural way of understanding eternity. It has never happened before. That's kind of a, a national pride sentiment that anything that happened before Egypt was founded didn't matter Because the beginning of Egypt in their minds was the beginning of time. So that's what he's saying. This this has never happened. It's going to be the worst hail ever. So verse 19, now therefore send, get the word out, tell people, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. Why? For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Can you even imagine? Every once in a while we get a little bit of hail here. Sometimes it's kind of cute because you see it come down and it kind of covers the lawn and it's nice and white for a few minutes, reminding you of the glory of winter, but then it's gone right away, reminding you of the glory that it's not winter. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. When we lived in Texas, there was a, a storm that went by and one of the families in our church, And we were kind of, a—I wanna call this a regional church, that's not a positive thing. There were people that came from all over the city to come to our little church, which means we weren't a very good community church. But anyway, uh, one family, it's only affected one family in our church, this was a really bad hailstorm, and it broke out every window in their house, every window in their cars, their cars were totaled, their house was just an absolute disaster of a mess. And that was nothing compared to what God's talking about here in Exodus. This warning is God's mercy and grace all wrapped up in one little bundle. By telling them, tomorrow, about this time, you've got a day. A day to get the word out. Tell everyone you know. Stay out of the field tomorrow. Get into your bunker, whatever it is you've got. Just don't be outside. It was an opportunity for any and all of the Egyptians to demonstrate that they believed God. That they recognized that the plagues that have already come have been the hand of God and they weren't going to test him on this one. It was their opportunity to demonstrate that they believed God by acting on that belief. By getting the animals in, keeping the people in. And some believed. And they acted. They made sure that their animals, that their servants, their slaves were all sheltered the next day. But others did not believe. Because they were not sheltered, they died. each encounter with the word of God is an opportunity to believe. It's an an opportunity for us as believers to obey. It's an opportunity for unbelievers to put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Because if we're trusting in our efforts, we will be spiritually like these people in the field were physically. There will be a day when our soul will be condemned and there will be no more chance The Egyptians had an opportunity to obey. And and notice how God warns Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's a simple command Do this. Let my people go, or if you will not, hail is coming, and you need to know that people that are exposed to this hail will die. There's just a simple command to obey, there's no begging, there's no pleading. There's no 25 verses of just as I am to try and get people to respond. Just a simple command to obey. This is another way in which God is actually quite consistent. In the New Testament, you will not find anyone pleading with someone to decide to follow Jesus. Choose Jesus. Choose salvation. Go ahead, do a New Testament word study. You're not going to find it. In fact, if you do that New Testament word study and, and, and hone in on the word choose or choice or decide, what you will find is that the choice is always God's. And when it comes to people, they are commanded to believe, commanded to obey. You'll find only commands. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Repent and perform the works of righteousness. Confess your sin. Command, 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 command. God has yet again commanded Pharaoh to release Israel. And Pharaoh has yet again. Refused. So the next day, Moses raises his hands to the heavens and the storm begins. So, uh, in the first section, we've seen God's purpose. In this second section, and trust me, this will go much faster than the first section, we see God's power. We see it on display. It was foretold in the first section, it comes to pass in the second. Verse 25 The hail struck down everything that was in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. The hail destroyed everything. Do you see the power of God? God wants us to know his power and proclaim his name, and disaster will do that. Everyone among the Egyptians who was unsheltered died. Every animal out in the open died. The plants knocked down. The fields decimated, destroyed. Actually, decimated means something else. They were destroyed. Yet, not one Israelite was harmed. None of their fields damaged. God is all-powerful. He has the power to destroy, and he has the power to protect. And praise the Lord for every moment of protection that he has granted us, because we don't deserve it, and ultimately we don't need it. And what I mean by that is if God brought every disaster into our lives but saved our soul, he'd still be a good and gracious God, right? He has the power to destroy, the power to protect, and God never gets it wrong. I get stuff wrong all the time. He never gets it wrong. He never misunderstands the situation, though we do that on a regular basis. Aren't you glad that your God is greater than you by such an eternal degree? God gave us his purpose. He's shown us his power. Now, the end of the passage, Pharaoh gives his plea. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses. By the way, how'd he do that? Didn't have a telephone or even probably not smoke signals in the middle of a storm. I kind of wonder did he have an Israelite slave in his palace that he could go and send? Anyone else that goes outside, they die. I don't know. That's just kind of in passing here. Verse 27, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Pharaoh confesses that he has displeased the God of Israel. By the way, don't see this as a confession of saving faith. We know it's not. And Moses says as much in the very next verse, verse 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out to the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And he goes on to say, I know that you do not fear the Lord. Actually, he said that back in verse 20. Sorry, I'm out of order here. This hail was quite something. The psalmist, inspired by the word of God, inspired by the spirit of God, led by the spirit of God, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 105, verse 32, describing, in this psalm, he's describing the plagues. Uh, he gets to this plague, Psalm 105, verse 32. He says, he gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts throughout their land. Hail for rain. You know that, that kind of calming sound of the pitter-patter of raindrops? take every one of those raindrops, freeze it, make it bigger. And that's how much hail was coming down. As voluminous as rain. All the crops, all the trees are destroyed. The only crops that aren't destroyed are the ones that haven't come out of the ground yet. Uh, Verse 32 tells us that. Yet notice that Moses could walk right through the storm. remember Eeyore? He was the little donkey that had a rain cloud over him and, and it only rained on Eeyore. I think Moses might have been the inverse of that. That maybe he walked through the hail and nothing landed on him. Maybe there was even a ray of sunshine. Now that's completely my imagination but that's what I want to picture. That this plague that was destroying Egypt did nothing to Moses as he leaves the palace. So Moses has gone to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has begged for relief. And Moses responds with clarity as to what is happening in Pharaoh's heart. Verse 30. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. he's using the words, Pharaoh's using the words of confession. He says, I've sinned. I've done what's wrong. He even says the words, I will release you. And, and this time, with, uh, with no strings attached, in previous times that he has uh, appeared to consent, he'd say, well, but just take your men or, or, or don't bring your cattle or, or do it here instead of having to go out into the wilderness. No, no strings attached this time. Pharaoh is a classic example of someone who displays genuine remorse. He does genuinely feel bad that this has happened. He regrets that this punishment is coming upon the land, and and he knows that it's directly his fault. There is genuine remorse, but he's showing genuine remorse without turning from his sin and trusting God. Remorse for sin Does not save. Feeling sorry for the consequences of your sin is not the same as a sincere, godly confession. Pharaoh can't help but know that God is powerful, more powerful than his gods, but even acknowledging God as supreme does not save. Remorse does not save. Knowing who God is doesn't save. Believing in God actually doesn't save. You know that, right? It's not just believing who he is, but it's believing that I as a sinner have sinned against him and there's nothing that I can do to be made right. The only way I can be made right is by faith in Jesus whose blood covers me. Passage ends with Pharaoh's heart hardened yet again. He and his servants, the people around him, and he did not let the people go. God wants us to know his power and proclaim his name. Pharaoh is given opportunity after opportunity to see his power and to give glory to God, and he doesn't do it. Pharaoh can't help but see God's power. The question is, will we see God's power? Will we pay attention to him? God doesn't always display his power in grand fashion like he is in the Exodus, and thank the Lord for that. That's good. Yet his power is revealed without reservation through his word. So, if you're going to know his power, his character, his being, his love, read what he wrote. Keep reading it. And then tell someone we have no problem talking about the weather, it's chilly. We have no problem talking about sports or current events or what that certain politician is up to. Again, you can just fill in the name. But do we talk about how God has changed us this week? How God has provided for us this week? How God has shown us his greatness, whether through his word or through various events in our lives? Do we talk about that? We need to make common and normal and ordinary talking about God. The current phrase is let's normalize talking about God. Let's be known as people who love our God more than we love ourselves. He's worthy of it. We see it in this passage the God who could destroy one person and protect someone else right next to them. It's an amazing God. He's worthy of our love and our devotion. Let's be known as God's people before we're known for our politics, our sports, our entertainment, our jobs even be known as God's people. Would you pray with me? Father, your word has recorded these events so that we might know your power and so that we might surrender to you, so that we might tell others of how great and honorable and loving and wonderful you are, but also how holy you how you get angry with sin, how you are building up wrath to pour out on those who have not trusted Jesus, how you took that wrath, and and for our sins, for those of us who believe, you've poured that on Jesus already, so there is no more wrath for us. What a gracious and merciful thing for you to do. Father, fix our affections. change our desires help us to love you more than we love even life itself Father when we love you in that manner we will do what this passage says we will proclaim your name to the ends of the earth Lord help us to do that at least in our community among our acquaintances with the people we meet this week, that they wouldn't be able to help but know that we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the power of your word to impact us today. Change us, mold us to be like our Savior in Jesus' name.